Here at Lady Farmer, we talk about so many different aspects of slow and sustainable living, a subject matter that can at times feel confusing, overwhelming, even misleading. And that's why a few years ago, we set out to write a book that might be a guide for those seeking a life of beauty, simplicity, and sustainability. We're thrilled to be able to offer you our own small guide for cultivating slow living, sustainable simplicity close to home available in our online marketplace. In the book, you've woven an easy-to-digest narrative of stories, recipes, tips, resources, ideas, and reflection. This collection of essays and resources will guide you to think about your own relationship to the planet, what you eat, what you wear, and how you live a sustainable lifestyle. It also contains a 21-day slow-living challenge of daily thought exercises to lead you in the process. For you Good Dirt listeners, we are offering free shipping of this wonderful little book with the code THEGOODDIRT in our online marketplace. So use the code THEGOODDIRT, T-H-E-G-O-O-D-D-I-R-T at checkout when you go to purchase your copy of The Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living in our online marketplace for free shipping. That's The Good Dirt at The Lady Farmer online marketplace for free shipping on The Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living. We hope you enjoy it. Thanks, everybody. I think something that I've been working through and encouraging just everyone I work with to think about is maybe we do work nine to five, but we don't have to do one thing for nine to five. Just really tapping into energy ebbs and flows and inspirational things. Okay, maybe you have four priorities for the day, but then in between that, you have to do all the things that you like. You have to eat food that you want. You have to listen to music. You have to go outside. That's really where I'm at with it, and it's not easy. You're listening to The Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty-gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts, Emma and Mary Kingsley, the mother-daughter founder team of Lady Farmer. We're sowing seeds of slow living through our community platform, events, and online marketplace. We started this podcast as a means to share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now, the farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. So come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now... Let's dig in. So, hello, Mom. Yesterday was Groundhog Day. Yeah, that's the day that a big rodent gets to predict the weather for us, right? I guess so. I haven't heard what he decided (laughs) yesterday, but according to something called the Storm Facts Almanac, he's only right about 39% of the time, which doesn't seem very helpful. But what's (laughs) interesting is that it overlaps with Imbolc, which we chat about on here a good bit. It's celebrated on February 1st and 2nd. So I was wondering if you knew anything about how those Celtic traditions might overlap with Groundhog Day. Yeah, actually they do. So in the Celtic cultures of Ireland and Scotland, the Kaliak is a very ancient mythological figure. She's depicted as a hag associated with winter, an old hag. And she's also associated with the creation of weather. 
And the story goes that she would spend in bulk gathering firewood. But if she intended to keep winter going, she would make the weather that day really nice and bright and sunny so she could collect lots of firewood. But if it was bad weather, like with cold rain or snow, that meant that Kaliak would spend the day sleeping and she wouldn't be gathering firewood. So winter would be almost over. So that's kind of like the groundhog that when he, he goes out, if it's cloudy and he doesn't see his shadow, that means that spring is coming sooner. So it's kind of counterintuitive, but you can see how the stories are related. So it's either a groundhog or an old hag. That's lovely. (laughs) So wherever you are, you can answer the question of whether or not the Kaliak was sleeping yesterday or if she was out gathering wood. I wonder how many different answers to that we would get. Yeah. So why do we so often refer to Celtic traditions in our slow living journey through the seasons? It's not just because I have red hair. No, it's more than that. And you don't have to be Irish. You don't have to be Catholic to look to these things for inspiration. Um, I would say it's because the Celts left such a rich body of folklore and legend and art that reflects their reverence for the cycles of nature and really helps us connect to that longing in ourselves, which we're seeing so much now and feeling. And that's what we're doing in our community. We're trying to rediscover that connection of slow living through the seasons. For any of you who might be new here, you might be wondering, well, what's slow living and what is a slow living journey? Oh, wow. You really teed that up really well (laughs) because we have the slow living challenge starting on Monday, (laughs) which is really exciting. Uh, We don't love the word challenge. It shouldn't be challenging. It should be really like life giving and fulfilling. And the word challenge is only to mean something for you to incorporate into your life that might make you feel more connected to nature and to one another. So the Slow Living Challenge is over five weeks and we start on Monday, February 6th. You sign up at the link in our show notes that will send you a welcome email with the outline of everything that's gonna be happening. Every week we explore a different theme. Next week's theme is nature. And we won't say too much about it now because you will discover as it unfolds. And we also have some surprises planned, but something about slow living and nature, especially you will know this if you are already walking this path, is we love plants and we talk a lot about plants. So that's where we are going to head into our wonderful conversation today with herbalist Lauren Haynes, such a bright light. We really love talking to her. She is the founder of Wooden Spoon Herbs. You might have heard of this herb company. Their packaging is really beautiful and they're available all over and I just love them. They provide products and education to help you build your routine of herbal support. I love this description on their website. And this is a quote. Lauren seeded wooden spoon herbs in her Tennessee kitchen and sprouted it at an Appalachian mountain farmer's market stall. Today, Lauren's goal is to make earth-grown, time-tested herbal formulas accessible for the health of ourselves and our planet. So I knew when I saw the Tennessee and Appalachian connection that we were going to love talking to Lauren, and I wasn't disappointed. So if you're interested in the magic and power of plants 
in a world that needs hope and healing, you'll want to stick around for this one. So let's dig in with Lauren Haynes of Wooden Spoon Herbs. I'm Lauren Haynes. I am from Chattanooga, Tennessee, which is a beautiful town in a bowl of foothills in the southern Appalachian mountain range. And I grew up here and just moved back here after spending six years living in dreamy little cabin in the woods life. I started studying herbalism or herbal medicine when I was in my early 20s. And then by the time I was 25, I started a project called Wooden Spoon Herbs, which I thought was going to be a fun side hustle that I did at the farmer's market. And eight years later, it's a lot more than that. It's a big deal. That's congrats. It's been a long time. I say eight years. I'm like, okay, wow. I've really put a lot behind this. And yeah, so it feels really good. We love Chattanooga. I grew up in Georgia and went to school in Swanee. Oh, no way. So I know the area well. My mom is from East Tennessee. And we grew up camping near Cloudland Canyon as kids. So that's just everything you said is just. Guys, that was the mountain I lived on. Let's look up. I know. So Lauren, I actually feel a little bit fangirly right now because I have been aware of Wooden Spoon Herbs for probably five or six of the eight years you've been in business. And I've admired your brand from afar for a long time. And it's just really exciting to meet you. So tell us about it. Tell us about Wooden Spoon Herbs. I want to hear more about how you were like, this is just going to be a little fun farmer's market thing. And then it it is not anymore. I mean, you're kind of major. So can you tell us a little bit about that journey? That's very kind. So we make herbal products and our mission really is to focus on nutritive herbs so things that just nourish your body honestly i couldn't i mean i can tell you what i've done and like the experiences i've had but how we got to be is such a mystery and it happens so naturally which i think is just yeah it's really powerful to me because i know that it wasn't because of my own efforts it was because i loved what i was doing and i was really dedicated to my craft and the products really work for people and they've helped a lot of people and so it's really enabled us to kind of build a platform for what we want to talk about which is like herbal education especially as like the space has become so commodified and there's a new brand every day it's very important for me to have a platform to tell people that no one invented any of this and they're very old practices and it's really just honoring that and continuing it and like continuing to innovate and iterate and like edit and refine what herbalism is and what that community looks like and what it brings to the world. So we make herbal products. Yes, we make delicious herbal products. We make a lot of them are like reimagined classics, like an herbal emergency or our version of Dandy Blend. You have this like rose hot cocoa situation that is so good. Yeah, people love the rose cocoa so much. I need to like bring that one back it's really funny though because like in the beginning it was i was just playing and i was making so many things and then over time like once it solidified into a business yeah you can't have 40 products and yeah you have to streamline a little bit yeah i yeah, like that one though right so the streamlining so you created all of these products and you you're then this very you're a very creative person you know making stuff that you are excited by and now you sort of had to narrow that down and is that based on you know what you were selling the most of and streamlining all of your efforts and all of that? For sure, yeah. We have like some really practical formulas like cramp control, which is for menstrual discomfort in any part of your cycle. 
We have allergies, which is really great for drying up allergy season stuff. We have head helper, which is like a headache formula. So we do have the practical side of things, but people have gravitated surprisingly or not surprisingly towards the more fun things. So like we have the light ray, which is a delicious tincture. It's like a glycerin based tincture that's like fruits, berries, nettle, goji berry, hibiscus. And mm. it's like a good collaboration with a green beauty brand. And people really love that. People love the rose colored glasses because it tastes good. It like melons you out. People love the mushroom magic because it's a tasty version of like a mushroom tincture. I really try to have flavor forward formulas because my goal is compliance. And that's kind of how I bring my clinical perspective to a brand compliant oh like with regulations no compliance like taking the formula like getting people to take the formula oh like people using your product so i went to a three-year herb school i studied under phyllis light and she was one of the founding members of the american herbalist guild she's brilliant and like training to become a clinical herbalist we just saw constantly that compliance was the issue like no one wants to take an alcohol-based tincture Right. Either under the tongue, down the hatch, whatever. It's just, it's not fun. And as starting as a folk herbalist, I know that there's no reason why like clinical functionality can't come in a delicious package. So that's really, I think, our sweet spot, which has seemed to work. So yeah, people love the delicious tinctures. People love the herbal coffee. I think that's a huge bestseller for a million reasons. But we actually just added a functional dose of reishi extract, which I'm really excited about because I am like just such a gremlin behind the scenes and I want to sneak herbs into people's like that. Being able to get one more that I believe in so strongly, like reishi, feels really good to me. That's so exciting. I want to ask you, Lauren, if we could go back just a little bit. I want to go back to when you first became drawn to herbs and herbalism. Were you a child? How did that happen? Can you tell us a little bit about that story? Definitely. Yeah. So I've always been drawn to plants. I've always been very passionate about nature, specifically conservation and just like being outside So when I started working like as a teenager, I always worked for small businesses and that was really formative too, just to like kind of be in a smaller community. I was working at a health food store, really interested in like wild foods and like fermentation and all of these like traditional practices. And I was working at a health food store and one day I was like walking around on my break and (laughs) there was this like clearance section of herb farm tinctures and they were all simples, which means single herb tincture. And so I'm a broke 20 year old. I'm like, oh, what are these $5 things? I wonder. So I like made a list of all the different herbs and like took it home and looked them all up. And I think that was a huge aha moment for me of just like these really amazing plants that I'm already falling in love with can do everything from support healthy blood pressure levels. They can flip your brain. They can help your stomach they can help and you know just really seeing the like breadth and depth of what these plants can do was hugely awakening for me and honestly that was kind of like the spark once I hit the books in that way and from there I mean I just like bought out the entire like herb section at my favorite used bookstore and that was my first curriculum so and when did you go to herb school at what point I think I started herb school three years into like being excited about herbs And I did it because I wanted to start seeing clients and I did it because if I was going to sell things, I just really wanted to have validity so that people could trust me because I know that's important to people, even if it's not important to me. And I mean, that sounds arrogant, but I needed to learn. I've always been very like free form with learning. So I went in 2016. Okay. And repeat one more time what your herbal school was and your mentors and talk about that a little more maybe. Sure. So I went to a school that's on paper called 
the Appalachian Center for Natural Health. It's like so interesting to me, actually, because state by state, the regulations are so different for herbalism, especially for herbalism schools. My teacher and mentor, Phyllis D. Light, she couldn't call her school a school. She couldn't call it a... There are always things she couldn't call it. So she centered on... I mean, she landed on Center for Natural Health, which I just thought was so charming. So I went to the Appalachian Center for Natural Health, which was actually just a house in Arab, Alabama that was next door to her house. Yeah, with a shared yard and garden. And it was such a beautiful experience. We really didn't learn medicine making and we didn't learn a ton of plant ID. We didn't learn any botany. We didn't learn any medicine making. But what we learned was a lot of body systems. And that's how she taught. She actually taught herbalism secondary to body systems and how the body works, which couldn't have been a better education for me. And I really enjoyed being in a small town with like 10 other people who were just rabid to soak up her every word. And and it was a really beautiful experience. That's awesome. That sounds really cool. Oh, it just sounds so ideal and dreamy, actually. Honestly worth. That sounds similar to, there's an herbalist up here where a lot of people train in Virginia called Green Comfort School of Herbs. Her name's Teresa Boardwine. Shout out, Teresa. Do you know her? Yeah. Well, I know her name for sure, yeah. Yeah, and it sounds similar. It's a beautiful little town out in the country, or a little house out in the country, and then little yurt where she does her herbal training. And this is good information for people listening who live in the area. She had these cohorts of students every semester, and they have to fulfill a certain number of clinic hours, basically. So for free, you can go have an herbal consult with all of her students, you sit in the little yurt and you tell what is ailing you. And then they sit around, they talk for probably half hour, 45 minutes about everything you just said. And it's fascinating to watch them all work together. And then they create these potions, <laughs> teas and tinctures and, tinctures and things. Yeah. It was interesting to watch that process now that you say that because it really started with their conversation. Well, they asked me lots of questions and then their conversation really focused around my body systems and what's happening in my body. And then they like looked at that list and then they said, okay, well, what herbs are for that? And they compiled from that. So it was really interesting to watch that. Yeah. I think it's so interesting to think about how different teachers, schools, herbalists formulate. I mean, our year three was a free clinic and my herbal education was very rooted in energetics in the way that Ayurveda or traditional Chinese medicine are rooted in four to five elemental energetics. So that just triggered when when you said they like looked at the like, what's this good for? What's this good for? I like, I'm sure it was much more than that. I have no doubt. But like definitely for us, it was like a hot, cool, wet, dry. Oh, yes. Like so multifaceted. Yeah, I love this. I had to go because I had long haul COVID really bad. And I had been fatigued for like two months. I felt fatigue so tired and brain fog and I couldn't think clearly at all and I had this awful lingering cough and I was honestly kind of scared and I wasn't it was a weird point where I wasn't sick enough I mean I could go to the doctor and they could give me I don't know what they would have given me but I was this feels so much deeper and it was whatever they gave me really helped it was a great experience yeah I would love to know what they gave you I think that COVID was a great, I mean, if anything was great about it, I think it was like a good time for herbalism to shine in the way of we could offer so many things that your doctor has no idea exist and really practical applications of those energetic systems, really practical applications of deep knowledge of the body and how it works and 
I'm really glad they were able to help you. Yeah. And I'll pop this in there. The herbs are always a wonderful support to what's going on, you know, with your doctor, your medical professional, let me say. Totally. Yeah. And we always say, go to your doctor, check things out with your doctor. All of that. Not meant to replace. Definitely not meant to replace, but. Exactly. Compliment. 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 Yeah. Complimentary practices, for sure. It's a team sport. What really excites me is the depth of these things that in our modern culture, we barely even scratch the surface of it. And I just think that's so exciting. I mean, I think about that all the time. Yeah. Like also in traditional or conventional Western medicine, emotions are not thought of as healthcare. And that's something I really appreciate about acupuncture, herbalism, all of these other things is like emotions are a thousand percent healthcare and it goes beyond mental health. We're talking just like emotional states. Day emotions, period, are part of your health. There's a really great book I love that I just want to plug called Your Body is Your Subconscious Mind. Okay. By Candace Pert is one of my favorite books and it was required reading for my program with Phyllis and I totally understand why. And Candace Pert is a huge role model for me. She was one of the only women working at the National Institute of Health in the early 60s and she discovered the opioid receptor you know, our endogenous opioid receptor. Right. And I mean, her work is just astonishing. She did so much like drugless therapy, AIDS work, and she's fascinating. She, rest in peace, is no longer with us. But The Body is Your Subconscious Mind is one of my favorite books. I do believe that Candace Pert also wrote Molecules of Emotion, The Science Behind Mind Body. And I know she's from this area. You said she worked at NIH. And that is that one of the, I mean, I could be wrong, but is that one of the first books that came out about how your your thoughts really affect your body systems and really looking into that deeply. I'm sure. And I think it's so cool that it came from someone who like scientifically linked, like, why do we have endogenous opioid receptors? Because we have endogenous opiate, opioids, opiates, opioids. Wow. Yeah. It's really fascinating stuff. And something else I wanted to say about all of this and herb, just a, a broad stroke herbalism thing that I love is back to... Lauren, you said COVID, and I, I agree with you that COVID has been an interesting time for herbalism to shine. And I also think it's been a really great lesson for when before we had a vaccine and before you know, we didn't have a specific drug for, I believe one exists now, but we didn't have like a medicine for COVID that you could just take. So what was interesting, it was more about protecting yourself and fortifying your immune system and dealing with things as they came along. And the tendency, because of the way that Western medicine is, and rightfully so, is that you have something wrong, you take something for it. Mm-hmm. And what I love about herbalism is that it's so much more than that. And it almost doesn't work that way if you demand it to work that way, the way that we do with Western medicine and pharmaceuticals, then it almost doesn't. You have to be in relationship with it and you have to know the plant and you have to know your body. And I love that sort of responsibility that herbalism demands of the consumer and the formulator and all of that. And I love companies like yours that beautifully educate and formulate and package things for us. But as a consumer, even purchasing something like Wooden Spoon Herbs, we will get so much more out of that plant medicine if we really understand it and our relationship in it and why we're taking it. Absolutely. I think that's one of my biggest passions is You can have a cabinet full of like all these cool products, but if you don't know how to use them, then what are they for? And so no judgment, no fault for anyone, but like I'm just excited to like help you figure out how to use everything. And so 
that is, I think, something that is special about Wooden Spoon in particular. Oh, I want to hear you talk about that, like what is special and unique about Wooden Spoon and at the same time or in addition to how do you caution people about herbal abuse? Because I know that can be a thing, too. Well, I don't think that I focus on cautionary tales at this point. I think there's so much front end education that needs to happen. I'm happy to Mm -hmm. answer questions. We're very thorough with our contraindication warnings on our labels. So that's kind of how we touch on that piece. But I just want people to feel comfortable. So we have a really robust editorial side of our website. We publish articles every week. And sometimes that's how to use our products. And sometimes it's what is herbalism. Sometimes it's foods for immune support. Sometimes it's, it really varies, but that's something that we're working on building out right now is just a huge resource bank for people who want to learn. We as a company are focused on being a resource for anyone, whether or not they need a product. And so we're really excited to do that education. How do you guide people in learning to use it properly? And as people, as Emma was saying, People get sort of confused about, oh, this is like a pill or this is like a medicine that I would get from my doctor. But it's not. You know, I think some people, they don't know exactly how to use it and they don't know where to go for that. So maybe that's a role you play. Mm -hmm. I think so. And because we can't see people in a clinical setting because we don't know what their lifestyle is or or really much about them as far Mm -hmm. as customers are concerned. What we have found success with is just kind of illustrating how to use it. So doing recipes, showing people using the products, having people talk about their experiences with the products and really making people feel comfortable and in community with what we're doing because it says a lot. It says a lot. And and our hands are so tied with what we can say. So we really have to rely on experiential feedback and putting it in people's lifestyle, putting it in there at the forefront of their mind as far as how do I use this. It's like, well, you keep it on your kitchen counter. And then whenever you're making something, you add it to that. Or every morning you take three different tinctures at once or whatever that is. So just really illustrating because we can't say anything that we want to say. So talk about that. Oh, we can't say this or we can't say what we mean. And I I know there's very strict regulations around these things. Very, very strict, very scary. Uh, You know, I I spent a lot of time early in this path, uh, very scared of like the FDA and thinking I was going to go to jail and just being really terrified (laughs) and paralyzed. And I think it's been good to work through it. We have some great compliance consultants that are geniuses we work with. So the FDA, I want to say it was in 1991, 1992, they put together what they called the Deshaies Act. The Deshaies Act basically breaks down, okay, you can have dietary supplements, you can label them this very specific way, you can say these very specific things and what that is. So supplements can make what are called structure function claims. And that's kind of flopped around too, like you can switch those two words around. But structure function claims just basically means X supports X in the body. X promotes X activity in the body. And so we have to actually speak in body system. We can't say, we can't claim to affect any symptom because that would be practicing medicine without a license is what we're at risk of. (laughs) And that was something that like in when my teacher was younger, when like a lot of her peers were younger, herbalists were getting arrested for, prosecuted for is practicing medicine without a license. So they definitely was like, here's exactly what you do. Here's exactly how you talk about it. So yeah, so we can say like passion flowers supports an easeful mindset. And you know what I mean? And that sounds so flowery when really it's this very potent, like mild sedative. And yeah, so it's just, you know, it's frustrating. And I think there's a whole spectrum because like if I'm teaching, if I'm writing, 
I can say whatever I want. I can say it very clearly. I can say, I can be very pointed and, and direct with my language. But for a label on a product, it's very specific. No, for a brand. I mean, it's the whole ecosystem. Yeah. Nowhere and anywhere. And and if we make one slip up, then we could lose like a giant sales account. It's kind of like yeah. very tenuous, but it's fun. It's, it's a fun challenge. And I think like my background is in writing and I went to school like to be a writer. And so it, it's fun to like figure out <laughs> how to say things without saying. Yeah, I'm sure you have checks and balances along the way. You have lots of people coming after you and making sure that there was no wrong language or whatever. Oh, for sure. We put everyone, everyone on the team gets to go through a compliance training. Yeah, because it matters no matter like who you're talking to. If you're talking to, you know, if you're in customer service, if you are managing wholesale partners, if you are writing our captions for social media, it matters on all those fronts. And it's also just really fun to do things like that as a group and learn like the ins and outs. It's all about communication. Yeah. I thought of when you were talking about the Deshay situation and labeling is that it's just funny to me that, again, goes back to why it's so important to be educated and to educate yourself. And that, in my opinion, that is too much responsibility on one consumer to try to freaking parse through all this stuff. But I don't know how else we're going to do it. It's just funny to me that I can go to my grocery store and go to the toiletries aisle and find rows and rows and rows and rows of supplements, I'm doing air quotes, that are really cheap and they say vitamin C or vitamin D. And I have bought those supplements in the past. I'm like, oh, I need more vitamin D. And that there's the fact that that is a completely, completely different. The contents of that little bottle are going to be so different from something that I get from a company like Wooden Spoon Herbs or another small batch herbal situation that I, I'm knowing sort of what I'm taking and why. Thank goodness for regulations that keep us all safe and healthy, but also really? what can exist simultaneously within those constraints just baffling. I am glad you said that, though. I mean, because I think a lot of there's so much grumbling in the herbal community about the regulations. And it's like, guys, I mean, it's here to keep people safe. It's here to keep yeah. people aligned. So I definitely appreciate those. And it, it has to go with saying just like we need conventional physicians just as much as we need herbalists just as much as we need like acupuncturists and funds for me to try to like circumnavigate that and find if i want to use a vitamin or a mineral like how do i find a whole plant source which is just like a concentrated powder or a, a powdered extract of like right now we have a product launching over the winter that's like an herbal emergency it's called the lemon ginger immune toddy and it has zinc and vitamin c which are not any like i've never used a single compound before not that it technically is but so they're coming from acerola cherry and guava leaf respectively flip-flopped yeah it's been really fun and like i feel really good about that but it's been hard to find sources of vitamins and minerals that i get excited about and that leads me to where do you source your things i mean you don't have to tell us exactly your sources but how do you source and where do you create these creations that we're buying off the shelves like where are they made let me tell you about what it's like to drift to sleep on a 100% natural wool pillow sourced from regenerative farms wrapped in a lovingly handmade organic cotton pillowcase. Oh wait, I can't. I think it's just something you're going to have to try for yourself. Holy Lamb Organics is proud to carry on a centuries-old tradition of making beautiful textile products by hand. Combining heritage methods with pristine natural and organic materials and sustainable business practices, they bring a dedication to healthy living and the environment. Everything Holy Lamb does reflects their devotion to the planet and its inhabitants. From their supply chain to their manufacturing processes to their facilities management, nothing happens without considering the environmental impact. 
Most importantly, they're also dedicated to fair labor practices, secure working conditions, diversity, and inclusion. From the farm to the mill to their partner manufacturers, everyone shares the same high ideals of a safe, respectful workplace and environmentally conscious methods. Making good products enables them to do good work. Every time we order something from Holy Lamb Organics, we're proud to support a small town made in America company. You can find Holy Lamb Organics in the Lady Farmer Marketplace. For additional marketplace discounts, you can join the Almanac, our member-supported community platform. Find Holy Lamb Organics products including pillows, sheets, natural wool comforters, and more in the bedding section of the Lady Farmer Marketplace at www.ladyfarmer.com. Yeah, that's the boring part of things. I mean, it it has really evolved from a very fun kitchen practice to a true manufacturing business. And that's kind of the part that I oversee right now. So we have, they're called co-packers and and essentially they're factories that make your products. What I am proud of is that there are tons and tons of co-packers, right, all over the country. And we've had the luxury or like the intention to be very selective with our partners. And so we've been able to partner with brands who are already in the health food space who are willing to take on a few extra clients that aren't their like house brand. So yeah, it's really fun. They're very partnership. Oh, that's interesting. So the sourcing works differently for each one of them, of course. Sometimes we're able to be very, very involved and sometimes we just have to trust them based on their values and expertise. For example, my sourcing ethos is more centered around farm networks and where things are coming from, how they're grown, how they're harvested. And we had to switch like fly by night to a new manufacturer this year who is also incredible. It's a company that was like founded by a naturopath. Super, super amazing. Their values are so much more based in phytochemical constituent markers on an HPLC test. And that's something that, you know, I'm standing in the lab with the founder of this giant, you know, supplement company saying to him, but what if it works and it doesn't hit these markers? And he's like, that's personal preference. So it's something that as a tiny company, we really have to partner with these people on. But as we grow and scale, the vision is definitely to grow back into contract growing direct partnerships where 85 plus percent of our plants are coming from five farms. And we have a very solid grasp on all of that supply chain. That's really interesting. And are they growing for you? Or are they just growing and they disperse their things out amongst several vendors? Yeah, yeah. It varies. I mean, every farm's so different. Some of them, most of them, sell directly to the public. Some of them have their own brand. But by and large, all of them will do contract growing where you say, this season I need X number of pounds. And they grow it, harvest it, process it, and put your name on it, you know, and that gets to go in your product. Okay. So I want to ask you a little bit about your Appalachian background and your influences. And as you were growing up, did you talk about, if you will, or if you're so inspired, about how those things have influenced you? And have you had an interest in the indigenous piece of this and the ancient knowledge? And talk about that a little bit. Sure. I like to say that I'm half Southern Baptist and half Russian Jew, which is the truth. And <laughs> that's great. That's a really good picture of like where I'm coming from. Because, you know, the South is a complex place and it's problematic in so many ways. And I grew up both feeling very at home and also understanding what it felt like to be othered in a white supremacist culture as a woman, as a daughter of a Jewish family. And But on my dad's side, they're all from here for very as far back as we know. 
Yeah. I mean, I come from like a long line of quilters who grew up in this one cove where like my favorite, my first foray into medicinal herbs was without even knowing that my family had lived there and like this place and this land. And I'm very devoted to my family. And I don't know, it's just a very special place and feeling. So what happened in that cove? Is there a story behind some plant in that cove? There's a bunch of family stories, but go for it. The Cove is like a little German community called Hogjell Road now. It's called Macklemore Cove now, which is probably named after someone's big tract. So my great-great-grandmother moved there to meet up with some family. And yeah, I mean, they were just like probably subsistence farming and like eating wild foods. And it was a really small community. And my great-great-grandmother was like the one who moved to immigrated from Germany was like the village witch. Uh, I mean, they I'm using that word of her community. I don't know what they call her, but we definitely have a book of the wise woman. I guess so, man. Like we definitely have a book with crazy spells that freaks me out. Oh, cool. Oh, (laughs) from your family? My aunt has it. Oh, that's great for now. (laughs) Yeah. So she did that. And, you know, she called herself a Catholic, but I think that's what a lot of people have like more ornate rituals are safe falling under is a Catholic umbrella. So she did that. That's what I know about her. And my grandmother, who who was like my best friend of all time, she lived with this woman when she first married my grandfather. And she was like, yeah, she was weird. She would just sit in the rocking chair and stare at me. She would like people would come to see her. She would take them in the back room and like talk to them or pray over them or whatever. And then they would leave. And so she like saw it firsthand, which is cool. There's definitely not a lot. Like I didn't learn herbalism or anything like that from my family my dad is a painter and we would always go out and like just hang out in the woods while he like painted scenes and that was fun and grew up down the street from like a wildlife preserve that's really special to me so my experience is I think ancestrally this work makes me feel very connected to where I come from and something I'm also starting to learn is about my Jewish side and what those practices are and like how I can yeah how I can start to like feel comfortable there because I think there was such hardcore assimilation with my family that it was just snuffed out and it was safer not to like be super religious like we celebrated Hanukkah and Passover and that was like the extent of it like two meals a year and that was the extent of like Judaism growing up and even, you know, my mom, she's like, I don't know anything, but lately she's been opening up a little bit more. So. Isn't that interesting how we culturally, as we go through really difficult times, we decide maybe it's easy not to talk about it or to shy away from it. And then it seems a generation later, there's a lot of like angst around and grappling with, I want to know more, I want to know more. But I've noticed that and um, I have some friends who they know that they, especially in Maryland, which is a border state where there were technically, it was Southern and there were plantations where enslaved people lived and worked, but it was also a huge underground railroad site and there and a lot of abolitionists came out of the state and there was a lot of Frederick Douglasses from here and there's a lot of movement there. So it's an interesting mix and an interesting place. But anyways, all that to say, I know people who have family history here, but they don't know it. And it's just so crazy how close it is to us, too, because it's like we're talking like great grandparents, like not even that far back that were indentured or caretakers that would just remnants just one generation past being enslaved and their families were enslaved. So they were great grandparents, but their grandparents and even parents didn't like talking about it. So they don't know. And now we're 
we're just now far enough removed to where we want this information and they want to know, but it's hard to find and there's not records. And it's just, it's really fascinating. And also near where you are, Lauren, during the Cherokee removal era, a lot of Cherokee were hiding out in North Georgia to assimilate and pretend like they were white. So they erased their... So not to tell a story, it's not mine to tell or like my own, but my teacher tells a story, and I think it's even in her book, just of her grandmother who was Creek, Creek Nation. So Phyllis also is. And like her grandmother like wouldn't go out in the sun and like cover herself up so their skin didn't get any darker. Wow. And all of her cousins were like, you're not, you cannot get in trouble because they would have right. sent them away. Yeah, sent them away. Getting this from a podcast I just listened to, it's either Brene Brown or Esther Perel or someone like that talking about this internalized shame and pain. I think it was Esther Perel talking about how we internalize pain and Specifically, I guess, with the conversation right now would be we have grandparents and parents who lived through the Depression. And then there is this time of relative economical success in sort of the mid 20th century. And now what are we going through now? And what are our, how are we going to pass this along to our kids? I don't know. And they were discussing sort of what is that that keeps us from telling our stories or versus telling them? And what is, is it an emotion? Is it... Why? I think honestly, part of it is just like having the trauma response of just zoning it out while you're in it. And I think the brain worries you right now because I feel like it is really important to frame like we, whatever, who, whoever we are, are going through like this huge pandemic and COVID. You know, like that's huge. That's just, that's monumental in history. And I think mm-hmm. it's so easy for us to be like, oh my God, the past two years were so hard. But it's like, well, holy shit. Okay. This is like a, mon- yeah, like I said, like, yeah. We haven't experienced anything like this, but plenty of people have. And so I think that's also a fair critique from Isaiah. I cannot think of their last name. Who goes under the moniker of the queer brown vegan. Isaiah Hernandez talks a lot about how climate nihilism and climate like doomism is so white supremacist because, first of all, indigenous communities around the world have figured out how to live with the natural world, live in the natural yes. world, and have really figured it out and have also been through culturally and historically such massive events of oppression that for us to be like oh my god the world is ending is just such a cop-out and i love him thinking about that all the time but going back to covid what we're going through not telling our story i just think it comes so much down to like linguistics even with like hearing because yesterday for example for the first time i heard the term post row era and it was absolutely oh. sickening. But I think just using our words to like tell our story in real time is part of the solution. That's so cool and really powerful. Yes. So what's your story right now, Lauren? <laughs> My story right now is that I'm living in a sweet little treehouse, craftsman style apartment by the river in Chattanooga, working on, yeah, just like focused on wooden spoon herbs, starting to focus on what comes after that or like what I can build alongside that, whether that's a free clinic in Chattanooga, whether that is participating more actively in with our nonprofit partners, whether that is building my personal life out, whether, yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at. It's just, I feel like I've grown the company or the company has grown to a place in the past year that's enabled me to kind of think about like what else is there that I want to be doing. And that is so liberating after eight years of like intense work. So then how do you think 
right now that herbalism and plant medicine can really play a healing role in what's going on with our very broken relationship between humans and the earth and our broken systems. Where do you see herbalism fitting in and healing? The same precincts always fit in, I think, just with more visibility. I think herbalism has always been for the people. It is free medicine that you can create with nothing more than like knowledge and intention. And I think it is vital for healing a whole host of societal failings in, like I said, free clinics, in that setting, in education, in preparing yourself against whatever is coming as we like look at the future. I think the answer is so obvious to me that it's hard for me to articulate. Yeah. But I think it's like, it's exactly what we need. It's like, it brings people together. It arms a community. It takes power away from other. Yeah. Like it's fundamental. And I think like there's a huge network of people who hold that knowledge and power. And so that is growing. And I think like I could care less that it's trendy outside of success for my business and myself and like to get a platform to speak on this. But I think as more people think it's cool, like it's so easy to dismiss that. But I think as more people are open to it and think it's cool, we really start to see a culture shift because they will go to a local herbalist if they're buying a product. They will think just become more invested in the health of themselves. And my hope, what I see happening is that then they start taking care of their friends. And that is everything. That's like what it's for. That's what it's always been. And that's what it will always be. I mean, my answer would, if I was to be asked this question, how do you think herbalism and plant medicine play a healing role in the broken relationship? I would say what you just said, which is that is the role. The plants heal our healing. Like capital I is. And I'd like to add too that it has an entire life and history and legacy and energy outside, outside of these systems. All physicians were plant-based physicians before, or, you know, were natural physicians before 300 years ago. Yeah. It's fact. And I think it's just that's so easy to get lost in because we're just so inundated with like the now, the news cycles or social media or whatever that's hard to zoom out. I was thinking yesterday, I was hiking and I was thinking of a very practical answer to that question, which is saw this meadow far away, wanted to go over there. It was really grassy. I was scared of snakes. And I was like, girl, you're so dumb. If you just carry an echinacea snake bite tincture with you, then you could like confidently go wherever you wanted to on this terrain. Obviously being mindful and, and looking out for yourself. But I was like, that's such a practical application of how herbalism helps reconnect us with nature. It just like gives you the tools you need to say yes. Ooh, I like that. Oh, that is so powerful. Also, another example is people are afraid to go out with all these allergies that they might get stung by a bee and then they had to go to the ER and all this. And not to say that you could pluck something out of the grass that would stop anaphylactic reaction. I'm not saying that at all. But yeah, a person that's not an allergic in a normal bee sting. And I show people out of my farm, I tell them this all the time. If you, yeah, there are bees out here. If you get stung and you're not allergic mm-hmm. and you're not having trouble breathing, just look around within two or three feet of you. There's going to be a plantain plant. I show them what it is, chew it up and just put it on it. And things like that, people don't have to be, take the fear away. It's it, it, like, oh, there's something I can do. Those things are also my favorite because I think when someone experiences the sting going away from like a bee sting with plantain just being chewed up and like smashed on there it's just beautiful I just love that they just can't believe it and it's so magical and I think it I think that's another valid part of it that we aren't often allowed to give 
legitimacy is like things are allowed to be magical and delightful and whimsical and real. I think that in our air-conditioned, pristine environments that we've built for ourselves that are very disconnected from nature but feel very comfortable for us or for a large sector of us who we feel like we're comfortable but maybe we're sad and we don't know why. And I think part of this podcast and our mission is to maybe talk about connecting with nature can help us be less sad. There's something to that world where there's a certain, as you say, legitimacy to if I need something, I can go to CVS and grab it or Target. Like CVS or Target are very like comfortable, legitimate places, right? And what you need is probably, if it's really a good thing, it's probably going to be like tightly wrapped in plastic and one of those like really impossible to open plastic things. I think what we need to do here, part of our work, is just retraining ourselves and seeing that tightly clamped plastic protected thing that opens to the plastic bottle thing we unscrew that feels we've been trained to make it feel like that's the legitimate answer to our problems that's what's going to make us feel better something about swiping the card and getting the thing we did that we went and got the thing and in many cases that's the only available option right based on a number of criteria i love this idea of making something like Painting a plant outside feel as legitimate as the satisfyingly clam shell plastic thing at CBS. I just think like because I feel so strongly that herbalism is like vital and just so passionate, I think that like I'll take that's what I that's what I'm doing. It's like I'll take an herb if you need it in a capsule, if you need it in a plastic bot like I don't care like I just want you to take it I think too like exactly what I just said like I don't care how people are taking plants I don't care if they're taking capsules I just want people to like feel better with natural methods and and like start connecting to their own like themselves Mm -hmm. exciting beautiful I think you're doing a really good job of it Lauren I mean your brand is so beautiful and satisfying and you offer so many great products and I think pretty widely recognized especially in the in the spheres that we operate in and so, good job. I think you should feel really good about that. Well, I, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. I do. I do. Until a year ago, it was just like me and two other people. Like, But now it's not. It's like a whole team of some of the most smart, passionate, dedicated women I've ever known. And that is what I'm very excited about. That's so exciting. That is so exciting. It is. And it's also really expensive for us. I just can't wait for that moment when we have a whole team of lady farmers around us and you're expansive for us lauren i feel like it's around the corner for us too yeah it's about to happen (laughs) what does slow living mean to you lauren i think slow living is on one hand a luxury that i'm not afforded and on the other hand on a more positive hopeful note just a mindset i think something that i've been working through and encouraging just like everyone i work with to think about is maybe we do work nine to five, but we don't have to like do one thing for nine to five. Just like really tapping into energy ebbs and flows and like inspirational things and like, okay, maybe you have four priorities for the day, but then in between that, you have to do all the things that you like. You have to eat food that you want. You have to listen to music. You have to go outside. That's really where I'm at with it is, and it's not easy. I have, my workload is astronomical every single day. But if I can do that outside, if I can do that in the sun, then that will help. So I don't know. I don't know if slow living is something possible for most people. But Mm -hmm. I think that like all we can do is try to have a fluid mindset and like act within that container. Yeah, I think 
what you, you really hit upon something. It's all about reframing it wherever your circumstances are. And I love the way you said that every moment we can choose some sort of mindset or some sort of point of view or there's some choice, hopefully, to just make yourself feel less of whatever it is that's depressing on you. And I love the example of going out in the sun if you can or putting on some music or taking a taste of something delicious. All of those things, hopefully at least one of them or something like that is available and people can choose those things to sort of help them reframe the whole experience, the whole continuum of moments that becomes their day. Somewhere in there, there's a few of those moments that felt a little more peaceful and easeful. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it's so easy for us to get into like a burnout cycle where we just go so hard because we think mm-hmm. there's a finish line. There never is. And then we have to rest and make sure. Right. But if we can just kind of find that flow state, we're good. Beautiful. I'm curious as to your thoughts on what you think it would look like if slow living was possible for everyone or why you think it's not possible for a lot of people. Capitalism? Mm-hmm. Not cliche. But yeah, how could that not be the answer? How could that not be the answer? I mean, it's not capitalism. It's like white supremacist capitalism, imperialism. But it's like there's no reason why everyone shouldn't be able to like work three hours a day and then do whatever they want, like pursue their interests. Yeah, I agree. And I think even if I mean, as someone who has worked not currently, thanks to COVID, that helped unwrap some really tight things in my life. But someone who's juggled way too many jobs at one time and was, you know, has experienced that impossibility of slowing down. I think the rebellious act of, like, for example, just pausing, even if you're at work or doing the thing and allowing yourself to think outside the system that it wants you to be in and to be inspired by whether it's nature, whether it's other people. I am someone who's inspired by other people. When I was miserable at work, I found a lot of solace in just being very present in my interactions with other humans on a human level. And even that just really expanded my experience and my brain and my heart. And I feel as if I would hope that that's something that everyone feels they can have access to, even if they don't have the quote unquote hours in the day. I don't think that it is, though, because if you're a single mom and you're working 50 hours a week to make ends meet, you're too tired for presence. And that's just period. I think presence is a luxury. Honestly. Yeah, that's a good point. What can what can they do? I mean, how do we throw this in there? We just interviewed Stephanie O'Day. I guess her episode went up just um, mid-September. And that exact question came up. Just what if your circumstances are so overwhelming that you feel like you're so out of control and you don't have those moments, you don't see how you can be present. And she explains it very well. And I think to sum it up, and I I probably won't do this justice, y'all have to go and listen to that episode. But she says, pick one thing, just one little thing out of the day that you're going to think about differently that'll make it better. One thing. I actually just saved a quote from (laughs) Twin Peaks that said every day once a day give yourself a present don't plan it don't wait for it just let it happen which i think is really similar to what you're saying Mm, yeah over to what we're all saying about like the blend or like the middle ground between presence slow living and that like those little moments of freedom yeah yeah freedom 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 of mind i think it's such an important conversation too because i'm not a single mom who works 50 hours a week 
I'm very privileged to be in charge of only myself and have flexibility in my work. And yet, and yet, and I'm sure you feel the same way, Lauren, You've, as you've said, somehow we are working all the freaking time and we're burnt out. And if people like us, or we get in those states easily. So if someone like me can feel that extreme burnout. I think it comes back to like living in relationship because throughout COVID, like you talk to your friends, one day you're depressed, one day they're depressed, and you just have to be there for each other. And so I think it's the same for like, maybe you aren't in a place where you can have, yeah, the freedom of mind that you want, but someone who does can support you and vice versa. And like, I think it just goes back to like, we all have to like hold each other up when we can, where we can. I love that. I like that. And we can ask ourselves, okay, when we are in times of abundance and energy, which I do flow in and out of, okay, I'm in a time of abundance. How can I help someone else who might not be in abundance? And the funny thing about that is it always somehow makes you feel even more in abundance when you do that. Isn't that cool? So yeah, I really like that. That makes me feel better because I refuse to sit in the spot of, well, that's just not possible for some people. Because in my opinion, okay, well, then let's make that possible for people. They might not be able to make that possible for themselves, but how can we help people who that is not possible for? Yeah, thank you. It's no one's fault. It's like, it's no one's fault. Yeah. How dare we stop there? Yeah. All right. Because I think that slow living, yes, it is a privilege, but it is a privilege that should be accessible to everyone. And if it's not, we need to fix that. Working on it. Low living, slow food, low fashion, all those things yeah, should be accessible to everyone. And I don't think any of us can afford to be saying, oh, that's not possible for this group or that group, because I think that shuts down the conversation. We want to keep having the conversation. Well, we can accept that it's not possible, but then we say, how do we make it possible? How do we fix it? True. For sure. Yes. Okay. Thanks for teasing that out with us, Lauren. Yeah, that I love that. Not, so what does the good dirt mean to you? The good dirt. Yeah. Darkness, fertility, coolness. Yeah, all those good things. I like that. Fertility. That's cool. Yeah. And I darkness. Think, oh yeah. The feminine divine. Oh yeah. <laughs> I love that too. I think that's something else we don't talk about enough is the magic darkness when things are really dark and bleak and bad feeling. But also, guess what else happens in darkness? Things grow and there's roots. They sprout. And wombs are dark. Ooh, so good. And guess what? So many things have to have darkness. Yeah. To be born. You really yeah, you truly can't be born without being in the dark. Ooh. That's true. <laughs> oh, good stuff, y'all. <laughs> What's your favorite wooden spoon product or what's your, what are you using right now? Or, you know, however you want to answer that question, let's plug some wooden spoon stuff. Let's. Uh, my favorite product is the herbal coffee. It is my pride and joy. I love it so much. It was one of the hardest formulation and the most tedious. And I think it turned out perfectly. I really love that. I use a lot of the mushroom tincture. It's called Mushroom Magic. It's like turkey tail, reishi, shiitake, maitake, cordyceps, and... It tastes like vanilla and cinnamon. It's like a really spicy little syrup. And then I use a fire cider every morning because I've been on a huge like. Yeah. I guys follow this like she's like this hot French woman. She cuts by the glucose goddess, and she just shell parts of like if you drink vinegar before your meal, what your blood sugar curve looks like if you eat vegetables, 
before a meal what your blood sugar curve looks like. So I'm geeking out on that right now. So I've been taking our fire cider in the morning just for blood sugar purposes. I really should probably take it every time I eat something. But the whole blood sugar thing, uh, not to get off on this tangent, but that's so key. I think that's just something that's just not on people's radar at all. I know. Talk about education that feels gatekept and like everyone needs to know about blood sugar stuff. Blood sugar and protein and they go hand in hand. And that is the foundation before we even get to vitamins and minerals. So yes. And it's so much more simple than anyone would have you think. Honestly, there's so many craft vinegar makers now, like just find one that you like and incorporate it into your beverage rotation. (laughs) Yeah. And you can really make so many things just splash a little vinegar and some fruit juice or something. And wow, you got yourself a mocktail. It's awesome. It's so good. My friend Chris, she makes tart vinegar as her company. And okay. they make gorgeous vinegars. So instead of infusing an apple cider vinegar, she's making vinegars out of like teas of all these different plants. So she has a rose vinegar. She has one that's called like three ocean vinegar. And it's three seaweeds. I think it's Irish moss, wakame. Can't remember the third one, but it's amazing. It's so salty and perfect. So, yeah, you're out too. Looks so good. So good. Consider it plugged. The <laughs> tart vinegar. Great. Is there anything else as we wrap up today that you would like the listeners to understand about the work that you do? I think what I want people to understand is that herbalism in general is far less complicated and scary than it seems initially. And it's just learning what you want, when you want, when you can, and learning one plant at a time. But yeah, that is just like fun. It's not scary and anyone can do it and you don't need anything like special to do it. We make fun products and that's really cool. But also you can make fun products at your house. And that's also really cool. Awesome. So have so enjoyed this conversation today, Lauren. It's just been delightful. And so thanks for spending your time with us. Just loved it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Lauren. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in, calling in, and spreading the good dirt. You can reach our listener voicemail at 443-459-1950. That's 443-459-1950. You can find this number in our show notes and in the link in our Instagram profile. This show is produced by Lady Farmer with original music composed and performed by John Kingsley. Our technical partner for this series is Citizen Racecar. Post-production by Alex Brower and Jose Miguel Baez, coordinated by Gabriela Montequin. For more from Lady Farmer, follow us on Instagram at WeAreLadyFarmer. That's WeAreLadyFarmer. Or join us online at www.ladyfarmer.com. We'll see you next time on The Good Dirt.